Leviticus chapter 26, verses 3 through 13, say this. If you follow my statutes and faithfully observe my commands, I will give you rain at the right time, and the land will yield its produce, and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until sowing time. You will have plenty of food to eat and live securely in your land. I will give peace to the land, and you will lie down with nothing to frighten you. I will remove dangerous animals from the land, and no sword will pass through your land. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will pursue a hundred, and a hundred of you will pursue ten thousand. Your enemies will fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you make you fruitful and multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. You will eat the old grain of the previous year and will clear out the old to make room for the new. I will place my residence among you and I will not reject you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would no longer be their slaves. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to live in freedom. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, God of the Bible, we thank you that we have record of your covenant promises to your people. That, God, we can see as new covenant believers what you promised throughout time and history for your people. And not just a record of your promises themselves, but also a record of your promises fulfilled. That God, you did bring your people out of slavery, that you broke the bonds of the yoke that were, was upon them. Because you are a God who liberates the captive, who frees the enslaved. And God, I think about where we are tonight, where we've come from, maybe any, many of us from our jobs, needing rest, needing the rest that you promised your people. So God, as we've talked a lot about work and how it can be good and work and how it can be bad, God, let's talk tonight about rest that you provide and how you are good to provide that for your people as only you can. So, God, would you bless us tonight as we hear from your servant, Mark Smith, preach from your word, that, God, we would incline our ears to hear what it is you want to say to us in the midst of hard work, of burden, that we can receive the rest that only you provide. God, would you bless us tonight as we worship you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we start tonight, I want to start off by reading a verse that is... uh, probably very common knowledge to you, but it's really one that kind of sets the tone for us tonight as we take a look at what God really says about rest and the promise that he's provided for us. And it's Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, Andrew said earlier that many of you probably just come from work. You've had a busy day. If you were to say, how many of us are just a little bit weary today, 
Uh, where would you stand on that? Just a little, maybe it's not from your job. Maybe it's from something else. If we were to say, how many of you tonight are just carrying a burden tonight? How many would raise their hand on that? Maybe it's a burden from something at work. Maybe it's a challenge that you're having at work, either through the responsibilities that you have or maybe through the relationships that you have there. Maybe it's some kind of burden that you're carrying from your family situation. Maybe there's something going on in your family tonight that maybe you're just carrying this heavy burden. Maybe it's something in a relationship. Maybe it's a dating relationship. Maybe there's a burden there. How many of you are carrying a burden tonight? I think all of us could really raise our hands. We all go through burdens and the weariness and the heaviness. But you know what? God did not send us out on a journey for us to be by ourselves. He sent us out on a journey to be able to help us and to be able to have that intimate relationship with us and to be able to help fulfill the promise of rest that he really gives to us. So that's what we're going to kind of dive into a little bit tonight. Uh, I appreciate uh, Andrew reading uh, the scripture in Leviticus. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. It kind of ties in to the promises of God. And if there's one thing that we can kind of hang our hat on is that what does God say? What does he promise us in his word? Because that's something that you can count on. Now, when we think about rest, what comes to mind? I mean, one of the first things you got to think about is sleep, right? You got to think, man, I cannot wait to get home tonight. I am so tired. I got up so early this morning. I just cannot wait to get in the bed tonight. I can't wait to rest. Many of you might say peace. You know, the scripture says around this whole peace, the definition of peace is the removal of burdens or without the presence of burdens. Maybe if you said my definition of rest might be contentment. Maybe it's even equivalent to the perfection of heaven in the way that heaven is going to be someday. And the contentment that's going to come along with that because we know in our culture today, not a lot of contentment, right? Not a lot of challenges of comparison back and forth. I mean, you just think about what goes on and the challenges. Sherry and I talk about it all the time. The challenges that you really have just through technology and the challenges of obviously Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the likes, not likes, and the challenges that come along with that. How does that foster a lack of contentment? We know it all really exists. Maybe your definition of rest might be just the separation from the struggle. The separation of the struggle and the tension that comes along with temptation. Maybe that's your burden. Maybe that's your struggle. Maybe that's something that's causing you to get a lack of rest from that standpoint. Then the, the, the challenge of us thinking about and dwelling on all of our past failures and the burden that comes along with that. You know, I can't tell you the number of times through the years where the devil has reminded me of my sin. And that's not the way God intended it to be. He intended us to be free from that. So we're going we're gonna to dive into God's Word and take a look at that tonight.
Here in the Scriptures in Hebrews, we're going to touch a little bit in chapter 3 and chapter 4. And rest can take on, or at least has four different references or senses in this particular Scripture. The first one, and you'll see that in, in chapter 3, 7 through 11, we're going to touch on that in just a second, has to do with the land of Canaan and the promised land. How is it that 12 people go out and they go on the same trail, they see the same things, they experience the same things, but 10 come back and say, man, there are giants. These guys are huge. There's giants in that land. But two come back and say, they're a conquered foe. 10 come back and say, it is a desolate land. It's hard. The trail is hard. It's the, the mountain ridges. It's really hard. But two come back and say, man, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. How is that possible? That 12 people go out and they come back with such a different view. Maybe it's our perspective of God. Maybe it's just a little bit of the rest that ties in. It's just our perspective of God and how we view that. So that's the first thing that you'll see in these scriptures tonight. The second thing, and you see it in chapter 4, verses 1, 3, 8, and 9, talks about salvation and how that eternal rest that we're going to receive through salvation in Jesus Christ. The third thing comes in chapter 4, verse 4. It talks about God's rest at the completion of creation. It's a different type of rest. But God set that example for us as well to honor the Sabbath. And in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, it talks about heaven and the Christian's ultimate resting place. So we're going to touch on all of those tonight as we kind of go through this. But notice one thing that it doesn't mention. It doesn't talk about sleep. You know, we think of rest and we think about, man, I can't wait to get in the bed, can't wait to take a deep sleep. You know, so many people in this country have issues with even sleeping, right? Even trying to get rest. Scripture doesn't talk about sleep or slumber. You know, God's eternal rest is to devote oneself to the worship and work of heaven in which there is neither frustration or exhaustion. So maybe that's the first little key for us is to devote oneself to worship. Worshiping the Lord. Worshiping God and seeking that intimate relationship with Him that He so desperately has designed for us and desires for us. You know, there is a parallel between what we're talking about with rest, a parallel with that and the word fear. Now, I want to read you something uh, real quick. Uh, you guys may be you know, fans of, uh, of Zach Williams, I am. And it's, a lot of his music has a lot to do talking about his struggle, if you've listened to any of his music. You'll be familiar with this, and I'm not going to sing it for you tonight. I'm just going to read it for you. But I, I want you to listen to the words very carefully because there's a correlation between fear and a lack of rest. It's when he told you you're not good enough, when he told you, you're not right. When he told you you're not strong enough to put up a good fight. When he told you you're not worthy. When he told you you're not loved. 
when he told you, you're not beautiful. You'll never be enough. And you probably know the verse. Fear is a liar. He will take your breath. He'll stop you in your steps. And here's the key. He will rob you of your rest. And he'll steal your happiness. So there's a correlation between our lack of rest and fear. And fear is a liar. You know, the devil lies to us every day. <clears throat> he wants to tie us up. He wants to tell us lies. He wants to remind us of our past. And a lot of that begins to cause this burden, this lack of rest that we experience many times. Well, let's take a look at some of the ways to experience this rest that is described here in Hebrews. So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to just skip around to a couple of different verses uh, because we do have limited time. You know, I've, uh, Sherry and I, we've been around for a little while, and you know, you always see these pastors when they get up to preach, they always take their watch off, right, and kind of sit it up here like they're really paying attention, right? Well, I'm going to take my, not my watch, but my phone, I'm going to sit it up here just to kind of keep up with the time because I only have so much time, but I'm probably not going to look at it either, but I'll just set it here just in case. It makes people feel more comfortable, right? Oh, he's paying attention. No, he's not really paying attention but to the time. But we do, we do want to be uh, to the point and, uh, and make our time count. So let's take a look at this, this, these first couple of scriptures. Uh, one of the things that you see in these scriptures, they stick out. We're going to see it three or four times in these verses tonight. And the first thing is that in verse 3, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. Now, the, the first thing you have to look at, I don't know if any of you guys have spent a lot of time reading the Bible chronologically or not. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, Brother Steve has really encouraged us so much there's three key things of the Christian life, and one of them is you got to be in the Word, right? If you want to hear from God, you got to be in the Word. So the pastor challenged us a number of years ago to read through the Bible on a regular basis. So we started a number of years ago. I'd been a Christian for quite a few years. I'd never read through the whole Bible. And then, so we decided, well, we're, we're going to do that, right? And so then we decided we're going to start reading through it chronologically. And if you've never read through the Bible chronologically, I encourage you to do that because a lot of the storylines that are in the Scriptures begin to make a lot more sense when you read it chronologically. You know, if you're new to the Bible, you might pick it up and you think it's chronological in the way that it's formed, but it's not, right? So it's important. And I say that to say that when you read in the Scripture and it says, therefore, we're going to see this in Hebrews chapter 4, 16, in just, a set, in just a second, when it says, Let us, therefore, go boldly to the throne of grace so that we can experience mercy and grace in our time of need. So that's going to be so there. It says, therefore, as well. Here, anytime you see the word therefore, it's a comparative, right? So it's going back to something that has been said before, and it's drawing your attention to it. So it's saying, 
If that is true, then this is what you need to listen to. So this is what it's saying. Therefore, holy brother. So what is the therefore? If you go back up a couple of verses, it says, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So what it's saying is that Jesus came to this earth. He lived, he experienced everything that you and I could experience from a temptation standpoint, from the challenges of life. And he's there to help us. So it says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Speaking to the Christians, right? Speaking to the ones that have been called by Jesus, that have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and is saying, this is what Jesus did. Therefore, you can have trust in the promises that he's getting ready to make to us, right? Around rest. So if you move over to verse 6, it says, But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold. I want you to, every time you see in your Bible, if you start reading the Bible chronologically, one of the things that stuck out to me when I began to read it chronologically is that particularly when you get into Leviticus, and it's one of the reasons we brought forth this scripture tonight, is there's this formula that's involved. I'm a pretty simple person. So what I really like is when God's very obvious with me, right? So he says over and over again, as you're reading the Old Testament particularly, but it comes out tonight in Hebrews, it says, if you, if you, if you, if you, I'm telling you, if you circle in your Bible, when you start reading through the Old Testament, you will, you will leave a lot of circles on your pages. It says, if you, if you, if you do this, then I will do this. That's what that scripture in Leviticus was all about. It was saying, if you will obey my commands and my decrees, then I will, and it says, I will give you rest. I will give you peace. I will give you success. I will give you contentment. There's a list of 10 things that are listed in Leviticus. So you see this phrase that's used over and over again where it says, if you, and it says, if we, we're going to see this phrase again in verse 7. Verse 7, we're going to read 7 through 11. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, here it is, if you will, Hear his voice and do not harden your heart as in rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now you see this little connection again. If you, if you will do this, this is what I will do for you. This is what I will give to you. And you see this phrase over and over again in the Old Testament, and you see it repeated now in the New Testament. So let's look at the first thing. There's two ways to really look at this scripture. We're going to look at what not to do in order to receive rest. And we're going to look at what to do. So the first two things that kind of stick out is what not to do. And let's look in verse 8. Verse 8 says, Do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. It ties into verse 13 that we'll come to in just a second too. It says, Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So in what ways 
Can you harden your heart? There's a lot of ways I've hardened my heart. There's another little phrase that's used in here that we talked about just above that that says, today, if you will hear his voice. Have you heard his voice? Is he asking you to do something today? My guess is right now you're beginning to kind of think, think through your day, your last week, your last month. Has God asked you to do something? What's your answer? Have you said no? Have you said maybe? Have you said not now? Have you said yes? Have you said, Lord, I'll do whatever you tell me to do? Have you ever noticed... Have you ever met somebody that you just feel like, man, they are just, you can just tell their relationship with Christ. It just, it seems like they're just really walking with the Lord. You know, we use these church terms, right? Walk with the Lord. But all that you know is that I, maybe that's not the right words to use, but when I look at them, I think, man, I want to experience that. And if you ever notice, if you ever talk to them, they will share with you their testimony about, you know what? The Lord told me, you fill in the blank as to what that is. And you also notice that in the middle of that, they also said yes. So I think there's a correlation between when we're obedient to what God has called us to do. I love the scripture, um, and we've studied it before uh, recently, where uh, it's in Matthew chapter 9 and I think chapter 12 where it says that, uh, that God deserves, it says in chapter 12, mercy more than sacrifice. But if you do your research on that, mercy in that sense means faithfulness, willingness to be obedient. And you go do the research on it, and if you go back and look when that phrase was first used, it was first used back in 1 Chronicles, and that's exactly what was happening where... The time and the period was God desires obedience more than sacrifice. So what goes into the sacrifice bucket? You know, sometimes we, we look at that scripture when we talk about what are things that we do that are hard, that are kind of hard in our hearts, right? It's the same thing as we look at what goes into the sacrifice bucket. You know, sometimes we consider ourselves to be obedient to God because we show up on Sunday mornings, right? Check the box. Check the box. Must be doing pretty well, right? But God can look at that in our lives just as much of being hard-hearted hard as He can of, hey, I showed up on Sunday morning, right? What's the difference? The intent of the heart? where God is really sharing with us, hey, I want to have this intimate relationship with you. I don't want you to check the box. Ever been a time in your life where you have become hardened in your heart 
and you start going through things just from a routine and not really being desperate for God. You know, it's one of the things that we have to really think about tonight as we read the Scripture is that are we in a place in our hearts where we're desperate for God? It doesn't have to mean that your circumstances are desperate. It just means are you desperate for that intimate relationship with the Lord? The second thing that you really see, and this is out of verse 12. We haven't read verse 12 yet. So the first thing is what not to do if you want to experience rest. Don't have a hardened heart toward the Lord. The first thing in chapter in verse 12, it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So the second thing we are to be warned about is having an evil heart. You say, well, what in the world does that mean? What does an evil heart of unbelief mean? Well, it can really take on three different meanings that you can look at from a different perspective. The first one, and the phrase evil heart of unbelief can mean that you have an evil heart produced by unbelief. So you, ref you refuse to believe God. Ever been there? I mean, I, I don't know where you are in your spiritual relationship. I didn't grow up in church. Um, you know, Sundays was just another day for us to go out and do another sporting event when I was growing up. Never can remember my mom and dad taking me to church. I'm not telling you that, you know, so that, wow, you were so, uh, you, you must have been in a really bad home. I, I actually had great parents. You know, we had a blast together. My mom and dad loved us to death, but my mom and dad weren't Christians. Dad taught me a lot about just life and a sense of hard work and honesty, integrity, but he, he missed the biggest thing. So as a result, kind of growing up and, and through college, you know, I can remember in college just, just laying there and thinking, man, there's got to be something more than this because this is not great. You know, I'm making a lot of bad decisions and we're not getting very good outcomes here. So uh, there's got to be something different. And uh, through that, maybe we'll share a little bit later if we have time, just how the Lord really brought me to not only Sherry, my wife, uh, but others around me that began to, in a way I'd never had anybody share the gospel with me. And the first person that did, I had no idea what they're talking about. I was clueless. I'm like, dude, I have no idea what you just talked about. I have no idea. I've never read the Bible. I've never picked it up. I have no idea what you're talking about. And I, and I could relate to this phrase of an evil heart produced by unbelief. There's nothing godly about me. Nothing godly in me. And I could see how the evil heart was produced by unbelief. The other phrase in the way it could mean is it's an evil heart resulting in unbelief. So maybe it's the bad decisions that I made that resulted in my unbelief and not maybe the opposite. And the last thing is that evil, it's an evil unbelieving heart. 
you know, through the years, and I know I shared with Andrew, and, and uh, you guys don't know Andrew, do you? It's cross. I forgot. I got straightened out on that this past weekend. Uh, but we were sharing a little bit about uh, about really my and Sherry's family. Uh, you know, she came, her mom, uh, Catholic. Sherry was raised Catholic, although Sherry became a Christian when they were living in Bermuda when she was 15 years old. And she would say she had to sneak out of the house to go get baptized, right? So that was her deal. She climbed out the window to go get baptized, right? So that was a little different. But uh, through that, her dad, one of the most agnostic men I've ever met, um, one of the most well-read men I've ever met. I mean, the guy is very knowledgeable on a lot of different subjects. He's 86 years old now. And... Uh, you're talking about a hardened heart? I just thought for sure, he's just like Pharaoh, right? God has hardened this man's heart. Sherry and I shared with him so many times through the years in what we think was a very loving and kind way, right? If you got relatives that are not Christians, the last thing they need you to do is preach to them, right? You need to love them. You need to be praying for them. And the word that I would say to you is never give up. Because a year ago, uh, Sherry's mom is going through some health issues. So one of the things that she wanted to do, she goes to a Catholic church. I believe she loves the Lord. We've talked to her about the Lord many times. She talks about Jesus, asking for her sins to be forgiven. So this is not a denominational thing. This is a Jesus thing, right? And so, uh, so they were, uh, she's, she's not doing well. So one of the things that she wanted to do before she continued to get sick was go to the Holy Land, right? So through her church down in Florida, they were going to go, and, and Mr. Salter is going to go with them. But he made it very clear, this is strictly a historical trip, right? You know, I don't believe any of that, you know, religious stuff and... I'm not, I'm not ready, but, you know, the historical value of this will be, you know, will be really encouraging. I think I'll enjoy that, right? So he did. Until he was standing in front of Jesus' tomb. And he would say to you today, I don't know what, what it was, but something happened. So now we see this incredible change. He comes back and he goes, man, I don't know what happened, but something weird happened when I was standing in front of Jesus' tomb. And I'm not trying to make this a weird story. I'm trying to say, God is powerful. The Holy Spirit is powerful. We've been praying for Mr. Salter for 34 years. And now he's on a spiritual journey. Is the very vigor that he had in trying to prove that Sherry and I were wrong is the same strength of the vigor that he has in trying to prove that God is real to him. And I thought for sure his heart was hardened, right? Not so. So I say the word of encouragement to you, no matter where you are with your family, no matter your friends you're praying for, 
and I don't have time tonight, but I could give you a number of different things. One of the coolest things, the guy that the guy that actually uh, shared Jesus with me the first time, he took me one time we were visiting years later, right? So he takes me into the room and he pulls out this Bible. And I noticed on these back pages he had all these names written. And beside the names, he had sometimes one date, sometimes two dates. And I thought, well, what is that about, right? But the one date I found out later was when he, when he had shared Jesus with him. What do you think the second date was? When they accepted Christ, right? So then I'm looking down through the page. And there it is, right in the middle, Mark Smith. With two dates. So a few years ago, I started doing that in the back of my Bible. And there it is. Jesse Salter. One date, but maybe one day it's going to be two. There's his son, Mark Salter. For a long time, investment banker, Harvard MBA, has it also has his own investment banking firm in California. Has forty bankers that work for him. In the world sense, the man has made it right miserable until about 10 years ago on the 4th of July sitting in the parking lot and he says just like probably you and I have said something's not right there's more and I see something and primarily his sister's life. And he goes, I, I gotta, I've got to have whatever she has. Now he's almost 60 years old. And we have Bible study usually every other Sunday night. And uh, just watching how the Lord's really working in his life. And that brings us to what can we do? And that's in verse 13. We read 12, and it says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So it gives us a way to really combat this. And the first thing that it talks about here is that we need to exhort and encourage one another. We need each other. We need to be encouraging each other. We need to be sharing our burdens together. You're not here by accident. You're not here tonight just to have something to do for an hour and a half. 
you guys need each other. You need to be here. Not because of some religious or a list of rules. That has nothing to do with it. This is not a check-the-box thing. Is that We need each other. We need to encourage each other in the Lord. When somebody's down, we need to pick them up. We need to be loving on each other in this church or any church that you're in and encouraging each other. So the first thing that it says, if we're going to experience rest, is we, gotta, we really have to encourage each other. Is it any wonder why some people struggle when they are out on their own with no support and no encouragement? No. So how can we do that? Let's look at chapter 4. And we'll try to put a bow on this in just a second. So now we, we hear the, the confirmation of the promise. Remember we talked about, I don't know about you, I think when I was a, young, a younger Christian, and even today, some of the things that encouraged me the most is when I see prophecy. When I see things that were written 700 years ago, and they have come true exactly the way they were mentioned and designed. I don't know about you, that encourages me, right? The promises of God. I know that Andrew uh, has, you know, some of the books that are handed out on Sunday mornings for Brother Steve, the promises of God. If you, if you need some of those, I'm sure you can get them because there are scriptures that are there. It's just full of scriptures on the promises of God, right? So this is confirmation. Let's look in verse 1 in chapter 4. And it says, again, there's that word, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear least any of you seem to have come short of it. So the first thing that we really see is the promise remains. God has given us a promise for rest. And we want to tap into it. Right? We want to experience it. We want to experience it and we want to share it with other people. Rest here could be equivalent to heaven, but I think most people interpret this scripture to be a spiritual progress and growth to maturity on their spiritual journey. Look in verse 3. It says, For we have believed, for we who have believed do enter the rest as he has said. So the first step in experiencing rest is you have to believe, right? You got to believe that the Lord has provided a way. So that's the first thing. Let's look at uh, verses 11 through 17. Uh, the scriptures that were mentioned earlier in Leviticus, if you wanted to go look for more, they just, they're just over and over again. Deuteronomy 11. 4, 39 through 40, Deuteronomy 11, 26 through 28. It just goes on and on where there's this phrase that continues to be used, if you, then I will. So just promises over and over and over. So let's look at verse 12. Let's look at 11 through 17. And let's look, in, uh, let's look at 11 through 12 just for a second. So let us therefore be diligent 
to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So again, there's a connection there, is that if we're going to experience rest, we have to do what? Can you hear God's voice? What's he saying to you? Are you being obedient? If you are, my guess is you're having a greater possibility of experiencing rest. If you're being resistant, then you could struggle with that, right? That could cause a place of a lack of rest for you. You're going to carry an extra burden. There's going to be a spirit of unsettledness in your heart. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit. What is that? What's the division of soul and spirit? Some people use those terms interchangeably, right? But they're really not. The spirit is God conscience. The soul is self-conscience. The spirit is God. Is where God dwells. The soul is where man dwells. So when you see a piercing and a separation of the spirit and soul, that's what God's word does that, right? It separates the part where we're being selfish, right? We're saying yes to us and not yes to God. Let's take a look at 14 and 16, and we'll kind of end here because we want to we end on good news, right? It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, as we read the scripture earlier, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, there is an answer. There is not a way, there's the way to the resolution. In verse 16, come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. Mercy is what? Where we don't receive what we deserve, what we deserve right? And also to receive grace. Grace is we do receive what we don't deserve, right? In our time of need. We correctly have hope for the realities of life. There's no challenges. That's what 15 is saying. There are no challenges in your life that Jesus can't relate to you on. He's already been there. He's already gone that way. And God has given us a promise and provided the rest that we need. You know, another, another song that, that I love from, from uh, Zach Williams is uh, I'm No Longer a Slave, No Longer a Slave to Fear, But I Am a Child of God. 
Just think about that for a second. I'm no longer slave to fear. And I am a child of God. And I'm no longer slave to fear. But I am a child of God. You're a child of God. God's provided the way. He's provided everything that we need. Can you hear his voice? Because he's speaking to us. We just have to be obedient.